want to say thank you for having me here today. And, uh, you know, when, when Pastor Ed uh, gave me a call, I, I said, sure, I'd come down. You know, you, Pastor Ed's a great guy. He really is. Uh, I went to school with him. We took the course of study together and uh, traveled quite a bit together going to classes. And uh, he is really, you're, you're really blessed to have him as your pastor, except for that one problem that you all know he has of being a, a, a Michigan fan. So I, I pray you keep him in your prayers about that. But, uh, you know, we, we kid each other about him. I've, I've actually stopped kidding him because it's no fun anymore, really. Uh, but uh, at least he gets it honestly. He's, he's from the state of Michigan. But again, all kidding aside, Ed is a great guy and, and his family. And, and so you are indeed blessed to have them. Uh, I am actually a, uh, an associate pastor at Dayspring in Canal Winchester. Uh, my wife and I are members there. Uh, we've just, we're getting ready to celebrate our 37th anniversary, right? Yes. I can count, yes. In December, we have two adult children. One lives in Centerburg, Ohio. The other one lives in uh, Portland, Oregon. So, uh, we're kind of spread out right now, but that's, that's enough about us. You know, it's just good to, to be here today. And we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, if you want to start turning your Bibles there. But before we uh, pray and read the scripture, uh, how many boxing fans do we have here? Any old school boxing you know, uh, when I was growing up, it was a big thing, not so much today, but there was a fight that happened on February 11th, 1990, in Tokyo, Japan, of all places. It was the James Douglas-Mike Tyson fight. And, of course, James Douglas was from Columbus, so we were pretty proud to have a champion uh, from there because he beat 42 to 1 odds. They thought there's no way that this Buster Douglas is going to go in and have a victory against Mike Tyson, who was the most fierce fighting machine we have almost ever seen outside of Muhammad Ali. And some people think that it was a lucky win, but it wasn't. He had a plan for victory. See, Douglas was a pretty good fighter, but he was undisciplined when he trained. But for this fight, for once in his life, he took his training seriously. He took all of the advice seriously that his manager gave him. And so he, he trained and, and got ready for this fight. And so he got over this lack of dedication and training. See, he was a larger man than Mike Tyson. So he said, I'm not going to be intimidated by Mike. You know, Mike was an intimidating guy. He still is. Uh, I wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. But he wasn't going to be intimidated. So he kept throwing punches at him. And because he was bigger and had a longer reach, he kept Tyson from getting inside and working on his body. And that's where Tyson would go in and get his victories. He would just go inside and pound you until you were defeated. And so Douglas knocked Tyson down, and he could not get up in the 10th round. And what should have been an easy victory for Tyson ended up being a, the, one of the biggest upsets ever in sports history. And it went to 
Douglas because he was better prepared. He knew what it was going to take for him to, do, to have victory, and he did it. In our scripture today, we're going to see a plan we have for victory, but not one for personal gain, not one for glory, for, for winning a, a belt to wear around your waist and for the photographers and then put it up on your wall. Uh, this victory plan is our victory in Jesus. It's for the victory for the kingdom of God. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this day to bring us together. Thank you for this day of worship. We pray now, Lord, that you be with us as we look at your word. We thank you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. And I will tell you, I get cotton mouth very easily, so I will be taking a few breaks here to get a drink. And especially when I'm at a new place. I don't know why. When I was pastoring churches, it just didn't bother me. But every time I go somewhere new, I get a little nervous and and that. So um, bear with me just a little bit. So we're in 1 John chapter 5. How many people here have ever heard a sermon from 1 John? We see one, a few hands, maybe preached a few, Pastor. Uh, it's interesting, when, whenever I've preached on this or did a Bible study, uh, and we're doing uh, the letters of John uh, in our group at uh, Dayspring, and you know, we, we have a, a, an older group of, of saints, and I said, how many of you have ever studied 1 John, or 2 John, or 3 John, and none of them, all these years, of Bible study and preaching. They hadn't even heard a sermon from 1 John. And I found that amazing because 1 John is such a great letter because it's all about love, the God kind of love. And I'll tell you, if you get a chance, read this this week a couple times and maybe even say, hey, this would be a great Bible study. So we'll start uh, in chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is a Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves a child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world, and this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it then that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen. That is the word of the Lord. So the first item we want to look at, our victory is in divine love. The main theme of 1 John is love. Both divine, the God kind of love, and the kind of love that we show back towards God, and the kind of love that we have for each other. In this little short book, love is mentioned 35 times. And I think there, if I, I didn't count the verses, but I kind of estimated that there was probably about 90 verses in this little book. Imagine that. In 90 verses, John mentions love. So that means it's important, right? And right before this passage, over in chapter 4, he says it 21 times. So he's trying to get our attention 
that love is important. That is our theme here, brothers and sisters, the theme of love. It is utmost importance. This whole book, and, and really God, how we live as God's people is all about love. How we love God, how he loves us, and how we love each other. You know, we're in this love triangle in a sense. You know, here's God, and here's us, and here's other people. And, and it goes around, and we love God, we love each other. And so God is very important. You know, God's very nature is love. John even states it in the book. He just says three simple little words. God is love. You know, and sometimes, and I used to think this way, that you could overemphasize love. But, you know, if you really look at the Bible and see what God says about love, we can't preach it too much. You know, I'm not talking the ooey-gooey love. But I'm talking the God kind of love, the kind of love that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. That is a kind of love, and it's important, and we can't preach it enough. Because when we love, that makes us who God created us to be. We were meant to be people who love, love God, love each other, but the problem is we see in this world and even sometimes in the church, we don't love each other. But that's what we're meant to be is lovers, lovers of each other. And John here uses the example of, the, of a family. You know, and, and the church is a family sometimes, right? We're like one big family. And it's, it's funny, you go to each church and it has its own different feel, doesn't it, as a family? Just like families out in the world are all, you know, we're all families, but we're all, in a sense, different. But yet there's that one thing that brings us together is love. And like any family, we have our fights, right? Fight over the color of the carpet, uh, you know, what kind of music we're going to play, and, and this, and, you know, uh, the pastor didn't look at me right, and you know, or I didn't look right at the pastor, and, and we get into fights sometimes as God's people. And, you know, we're family. You know, the, the problem is when our fights spill out into the public, you know, we need to take care of business inside the church. When we disagree, it's horrible when it goes out into the community. And believe me, it will, and it does, and I've seen it happen in churches where they get a bad reputation because they are known for fighting and just not getting along with each other and, and church splits and, and that. And I'm not going to name churches, but uh, I've, I've been a member of one of those, and it's not a, a pretty thing to see. You know, we need to keep church business inside the church and when we go out into this world, we need to take the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? We need to paint a better picture of who we are out to the world. They need to see Jesus in us. And when I mention conflict in a church and fighting, one thing I'm not meaning is that we, we need to, to take care of in-house is abuse. So don't, you know, I hope you don't get the wrong idea that if something criminal or, or abusive is going on in a church, that does need to go to the authorities. That's not something that we hide in the church. Legally, we're not 
supposed to be hiding that. And when those things get out, and they will, it damages the church even further. So, you know, if, and I hope no one here has been abused or, or anything like that. And, you, and if you have, you know, don't take me wrong. You know, don't think that you can't talk about it or go to the authorities or anything like that. But, you know, that's not what I'm talking about when we have church fights. Yeah, and there are times, you know, John talks about this throughout his uh, letter here about standing in the truth. You know, we like to say we speak the truth in love, and we, and we should. Uh, too often, though, sometimes when we say speak the truth in love, we're, we're using that as a club on somebody. But as Christians, it, you know, as Nazarenes, we have to stand for what we believe in. And John, in this letter, is, you know, he's talking to this church that's had a split where people have left the church and started a church down the road, and they're saying things like, uh, Jesus really didn't have a body. You know, he was just a spirit. He just appeared to have a body. And, and so they're teaching you know, wrong things, and they had drawn people out of that church. You know, we never split, or well, we should split if someone's not teaching the truth. We do have to stand for the truth. Uh, when we have these arguments in-house, you know, hopefully we take care of those. But, you know, again, I have seen, and you probably have as well, churches that just cannot agree on something, and they go down the road and start another ministry, another church, just like the one they left, because there was a lack of love, because they didn't love each other. They didn't love the truth. You know, and the weird thing is, so many people, you know, we're supposed to be people of truth, right? And we know what we believe. Matter of fact, at Dayspring, we're, uh, this summer, we're going through the articles of faith that we have in our Church of the Manual. You know, the basic things we believe. And, and I get to preach next week on the sacraments. And I'm excited about that. But, uh, and I would have been excited about any of the articles getting to preach. But, uh, you know... It, Here's the thing, when people come into church, a lot of them aren't necessarily looking just for truth. They're looking for acceptance. You know, it doesn't mean the truth isn't important. It is. And we have to hold dear to those things that we believe as, as Christians first and then as Nazarenes. But people come to our churches because they're looking for love. They're looking for something. As much as our doctrine is important, love is even more so. If we, you know, we can know all the right things, right? The Pharisees did. But they didn't love. They didn't show love. It was all about legalism. And here's, here's what happens. People, if they go to a church and they, they don't find love, or if they've been in a church... And, and they, they don't get the love, they will leave that. And they will join a cult, a false religion, people that will show them. They'll, they'll join groups outside of the church. They'll join gangs. It amazed me when I was reading about gangs how so many of those young people that join them are just looking for love and acceptance. And they don't find it in the church but they find it in a violent gang. Brothers and sisters, that is not right. 
people should walk into it, any church on the face of this earth, and be loved. But yet, here we are with really a lack of love going on in our churches. Yet we, we have Jesus Christ, the one who loved us supremely. And we, you know, we know that God can fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit and drive sin out and fill us with love, right? That's what entire sanctification is all about. It's not about avoiding things, but it's about filling us with God's love in our hearts so much that we just can't keep from, from sharing it with people. But the trouble is, oftentimes the world sees nothing but squabbling in the family of God, and it doesn't need to be that way. And John's warning these people, don't let that happen. Let the love of God shine through. You know, we're, we live in a time, you know, especially in our own country, where people are, are rejecting the faith and turning away from God. And, or even if they believe in him, they're, they're not going to church because they haven't found love. You know, they, they just, they feel judged. They, they feel like they don't measure up. You know, we, we've gotten away from, uh, you know, when, when I was a little younger and first going to church, I, I didn't get saved I was 25, but... Remember, it wasn't that long ago that, uh, man, if you didn't wear a tie and a, a, uh, a coat, hopefully, and nice pants and that to church and, and, and ladies had to wear a dress and you didn't wear pants and, you know, it, because if you didn't dress just right, you got looked at, didn't you? You got looked down at. And James has something to say about that. But we won't go into James right yet. But that's what we've done in our churches many times. Now, I'm, I'm glad we're kind of at an age now where we feel more comfortable dressing down a little bit. You know, I still wear a tie usually when I preach, you know, and I even wear a clerical collar sometimes when I do ministry. But I'm okay, you know, and some, sometimes when I go to church, I'll have, I've I said my last church corrupted me. I started wearing jeans sometimes into service. You know, during COVID, when we were having outdoor services, I wore jeans. And, and I, I looked at my church. I said, you guys really corrupted me, didn't you? And I was joking with them. They were a great congregation. But, but we've gotten over what we wear to church, haven't we? Yeah, we... We're okay with people coming in, in in jeans, maybe torn jeans, you know, that cost them $200 for a pair, and, you know, tennis shoes, you know, or, or sandals, or, or whatever, you know, even T-shirts. You know, we, we don't care. We just want people in here worshiping the Lord with us, don't we? Yeah. But yet, we still keep losing people, and, and you know, unfortunately... Oftentimes the world just hears condemnation from Christians. That's the view of us. And whether that's right or wrong, that is a perception that the church has in America today among people who don't go and people who used to go. Our mission is to forget about all that condemnation. You know, we let God do the condemning. We let God do the judging. We need to love. You know, we need to stand for truth, yes, but we need to stand in love first and foremost. And people will see that. You know, I've seen people leave the faith and come back because somebody loved them. 
because somebody cared for them. They didn't condemn them. There's too much condemnation that goes on in the Christian church. And, uh, you know, I, I hope, you know, I don't know anything about you other than, you know, I haven't talked to Ed a whole lot, to be honest. I think he likes you guys. You know, I hope we're all a church here that says, we're going to go out and love the world out there because the world ain't getting no love. Not the right kind of God love. They need to see it from us. And here's the whole thing about it is we have the Holy Spirit, don't we? We have the power to go out and love and care for people who are different from us, who who don't hold our values, who look different from us because we have the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit breaks through all barriers doesn't matter your race, your color, your creed, your, who you are, the Holy Spirit will break through. You know, one way to find out how you're doing as a church is go out in the community and ask your neighbors, hey, what do you think of us? You know, or, or better yet, go, go to somebody and say, hey, what do you think of that church over there, First Church of the Nazarene? You'll, you'll get your answer. People will be honest with you. And I hope it's a good report. You know, I've been in, I'll tell you what, when I went to Dayspring, uh, I found out, you know, we'd have people come in for some events and they say, yeah, we've heard about your church. You know, you guys are really great. We, we really like you. And I, and I was in a church, you know, where church I got saved in had a horrible reputation in the community. You know, we, we had actually had people who, who, when they would walk down the street, would cross over who would split from that church and wouldn't talk to each other. We had a horrible, horrible, horrible reputation. So make sure you love. I'll tell you what, you can't go wrong with the God kind of love. That's what people want. People want to be loved. That's why Jesus came. Because he knew love was the way. He knew that God's love was the only answer to the sin and the problems and the poverty and the hate and the anger and the malice in this world is Jesus Christ. See, our victory is in him. See, our victory is in obedience to Jesus. Now, you know, John here says we love others by obeying God. Obedience isn't a word we like, is it? Who likes to be told that you have to be obedient? Our kids didn't like it. Did they? How about when you were a kid? Did you really want to be obedient? <laughs> I wanted to be just obedient enough that I didn't get in trouble or get caught, right? It's probably how a lot of you were too. But it's not a word we like. But Jesus says in John 14, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. We will be obedient. You know, we, we believe in grace as a free gift. You know, we can't do anything to merit our salvation, right? You know, we can't work to earn the grace that God gives us when we cross that barrier from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God when we accept faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation, you know, it's a free gift. We don't earn it. But we are called to respond to the grace that God has given us. See, obedience is nothing more than a loving response to God's will in our lives. 
you know, we don't do it out of fear. You know, John, just in, in uh, the preceding chapter, says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. That's, John's laying it on the line there, isn't he? It's, this is where the rubber meets the road, is how we obey God. And what's our, our mindset? What's our motivation for it? You know, is it out of, you know, well, if I do these things, God won't zap me. You know, God, God will accept me because I'm doing the right things. Or do we obey because we want to please God, because we love Jesus, because he's done so much for us. You know, Jesus, you know, he came down as God and, and laid that aside and, and lived as a man and, and suffered and went through all the hardships that we did and, and was, you know, beaten nearly to death and then crucified, you know, the worst form of, of death the Romans could figure out. And he did that for us. That's why we're obedient, because we love, because we know how much love Jesus has shown us. You know, sometimes we, we think it's a burden to follow the Lord. And, you know, it's tough sometimes, isn't it? It can be hard to follow Jesus. It can be hard to be like him. It's not easy. But yet Jesus, in, in Matthew 11, he said his yoke was easy, his burden is light. You know, back in Jesus' day... Uh, the Pharisees, when they were teaching, you know, they, they laid all these burdens upon people that they just could not keep the law according to, to what these religious teachers were, were doing. And, and the law was, was referred to as a yoke. And, and you know what a yoke is. It's something that uh, you, know, you, you put on an animal to, uh, to plow in the old days. You didn't have nice tractors like they do today. You would plow with animals. And the yoke they would put those on and they would plow and uh, or even sometimes the prisoners that were taken they were put in a yoke their hands hands were up there and they couldn't do anything and it was a burden they had to carry and those were hard and, and that's how a lot of people viewed the law of God because the Pharisees had distorted it and they made it so difficult to become a disciple that it was almost impossible. And, and Jesus comes along, he says, hey, yeah, I've got a yoke and, you know, and a burden, but it's light. It's easy. You know, I'm not here to beat you down, Jesus says. I'm here to lift you up. I'm here to bring you back into relationship with the Father and with, with, with the whole Trinity and, and bring you back to where you were meant to be and bring you, adopt you as children back into the kingdom of God. Because you've went astray and, and I didn't let you go astray. I came after you. That's the burden Jesus puts on. That's why he says his yoke's easy. See, what we do is we make the Bible a rule book, don't we? Well, follow this, follow that, and you're okay. Well, we know that following this and following that, you know, you, if your attitude's in the wrong place. You know, it's sort of like when you ask your kids to, you know, one of them's done wrong and you ask them to apologize. 
and they say, I'm sorry. It's that kind of attitude. It's not really an apology. And when we try to obey the law of God and we're just doing it because we, we think it's going to, to somehow please God uh, or, or get us into heaven and, and we're not doing it you know, for the right reason, then it just becomes another pharisaical burden that we try to do. We try to, to stay in our own salvation. But when we, oh, when we follow Jesus, when we look at obedience as something good for us, as something that, that will not only help us, but help others, that we do our obedience out of response of loving God, then that totally turns scripture all around. All of a sudden, it's not a rule book, but it's a book of life. That's a book where God speaks to us and says, you are the beloved, that I love you, that I care for you. Remember, this is all about love, brothers and sisters. And love starts, I tell you, John, John pinpointed it. He said, you can't love God and, and hate someone else. If you don't show love towards other people and you say you love God, you're the biggest liar in the world. And I'll tell you what, I've done that. I've not loved people. And uh, I've made myself out to be a liar at times. So I have to take this way seriously. Because I, I, I tell you, especially after I got saved, I could be quite legalistic. And then I finally found that, that God doesn't want me to be legalistic. He wants me to love. And he says, you've got to love your brothers and sisters in the church, you know, it has to start there. And then it goes out into the world where we love those people out there. You know, Galatians says, carry each other's burdens and you will fulfill the law of Christ. Romans, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love, love to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. The Pharisees were trying to fulfill the law, and they, they kept adding commandments to it. And Paul here, who was the Pharisee among Pharisees, right, before he got saved on the Damascus Road, he says, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. He made it simple. You don't need all those other commandments. You know, love people. You know, what? when we relate to them, you know, we look at them and say, well, how would they want us or how would they want to, us to be treated by them? How do we love others? You know, when we look at other people, we say, well, how would I want to be loved? And then we get our answers. That's how we love other people is how we want to receive God's love. And that changes everything. Obedience is a key for living in the love of God. We obey because we want the love of God to prevail and last, our victory is in overcoming the world. You know, Jesus says, or John here, well, Jesus has told us too, uh, to overcome the world, to have victory over it. You know, sometimes we don't feel very victorious, do we? You know, we were asked, did you have a challenging week and, or, and a, or a good week? And, you know, sometimes challenging can be good, right? Sometimes, you know, anyone here ever have a bad week? I've had them. You've had them. And sometimes we don't feel so victorious, do we? We go through 
trials and things don't go right and, and that and you know you, you, you show up to work and you you know like I do painting and I show up to work and I get residents who apartments who aren't cooperative and you go in the first thing you gotta do is tear out a ceiling over top of you crumbling from where they had a leaky toilet and uh, you know they don't have the air conditioning on it's 90 degrees in the apartment and Oh boy, those are one of those trial weeks, right? Uh, you know what, in the grand scheme of things, that's really not that bad. You know, we've, you, know, you have a bad week is when a loved one dies, when a loved one gets sick, or a loved one comes to you and says, I don't love you anymore, I'm leaving and going to marry someone else. Those are, those are the rough weeks. And we can feel beaten down and and unloved in, in any numbers of ways. We, we just may feel defeated, but take heart. Even in the midst of all those trials and troubles that we go through, we can have victory in Jesus. That doesn't mean we won't have scars. That doesn't mean we won't be injured in this life. But it means that ultimately we do have victory in Jesus Christ. Our victory is in the one who overcame death and sin and the power of the devil. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in the cross of Christ. And by our faith in the Son of God, we have victory against this world and all it stands against us. And how does our faith overcome the world? You know, we, it says we, we conquer, we, we do it. You know, we, we don't do it by culture wars. We don't do it by seeking power to lord over people. That is not the way of the cross. That is not the way of Jesus. You know, or being smug about our faith. You know, yeah, well, I'm going to heaven and you're not. You know, you're going to hell and I really don't care. That's a bad attitude. Because ultimately, what we are, brothers and sisters, are beggars telling other beggars where to find bread, where to find the bread of life. You know, we're no better than those people out in the world, are we? We are who we are because of Jesus. And we want to share that Jesus out in the world. We also want to share it with each other, that's for sure. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in going out into the world, we forget about each other. And we, we need to take care of each other before we go out into this world. But we have to go the way of Jesus. If we want to overcome the world, we have to do things that, that Jesus said, like loving our enemies. Not too easy, is it? Who likes to love their enemies? You know, and I used to think that loving your enemies meant you love those who, who hate you. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think a little differently about that. I think when Jesus told us to love our enemies is we need to love those that we have made our enemies. Because we think this group and that group out there is, is our enemies. Those who are different than us. You know, those who think differently we make our own enemies, don't we? Remember Pogo? Comic strip? Some of us do. He said, we've met the enemy and he is us. Uh, it's so true. We have to love our enemies. The easiest way to do that is turn them into friends. Don't make those people out there, or even in the church, your enemy. 
Make them your friend. You know, Jesus says, bless you, you know, or to bless them when you're cursed. He said, tells us to turn our cheeks. Boy, that's a hard one, isn't it? Who likes to be slapped on their cheeks? Jesus said to do it. Man, he said his yoke was easy, right? But man, it can be hard to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. But that is a faith that overcomes the world. Not lording over people, not demanding our way, but loving them with Jesus and serving them, caring for them. It's the way of the cross. The love of God reigns supreme in Jesus. You want to overcome the world, brothers and sisters? There's one way. That's for us to love as Jesus has loved. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll have a benediction. Heavenly Father, it's hard to love sometimes. Lord, we don't want to. We, uh, we let our, maybe our prejudices, our experiences, our, 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 our knowledge of people that we, we know to, to get in that way of loving them. Lord, we ask that you would take any barriers down from our hearts that would keep us from loving as you have loved us. Lord, we, we pray that you would sanctify us, fill our hearts with your holy love. Lord, drive that sin out from us so that there's only room for us to, to go out and share the love of Christ, the love that you've given us in your son, Father. Lord, we know it will be difficult. We know we can only do it through your power. So God, we just pray right now for that infilling of the Holy Spirit so that we can be the people that you have meant us to be. So we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for being able to worship you, the one true God, the only way to the Father. So we thank you. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now our benediction from Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. And God's people said, amen. amen.